Welcome back to another edition of Disney Dish. It's me, Jim Hill, and I'm doing this week's show solo because Len is on a boat somewhere. That's literally all the information I have, folks. As we were wrapping up recording last week's edition of Disney Dish, Mr. Testa turned to me and said, you're going to need to do next week's show all by yourself because I'm going to be on a boat. Mind you, this boat could be the Disney Dish. It could also be a kayak that Lend is taking to Quincy or Nyack. I'm not working with a whole lot of information here. All I know is that Mr. Testa will be back next week sometime. And at that time, he can hopefully bring us all up to speed about his nautical adventures, which I'm hoping do not include the phrase, Iceberg! Dead ahead! Meantime, it's just me by my lonesome this time around. Well, uh, that's not entirely true. On the second half of today's show, I'll be chatting with Banks Lee, and he and I will be talking about Legoland Florida, which is still in the process of celebrating the 10th anniversary of its grand opening back in September of 2011, and we'll talk about some of the cool new stuff that's, that's coming online at that resort. But first, the news. And as always, the news portion of today's show is being brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, Len likes to begin every episode of Disney Dish with a hearty round of self-congratulations. I believe it's more appropriate to begin each show with, with a humble apology, which, when I actually think about it, clearly delineates Mr. Testa's worldview from my own take on the universe. On our last show, I was telling a story about how at one point in the late 1980s, early 1990s, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber was working on a new nighttime show for the Walt Disney World Resort, one that was supposed to be presented nightly out on Crescent Lake, that's that waterway that separates Disney's boardwalk from the Yacht and Beach Club. Well, as longtime Disney Dish listener Jamie recently pointed out to me, the Tony Award winner behind Evita, Cats, and Phantom of the Opera has moved up in the world over the past decade or so. So were you to encounter Andrew out in polite society today, it's no longer proper to just call him Sir. His new title is Lord, or if you prefer, the Baron Lloyd Webber. So my sincerest apologies to Lord and or the Baron Andrew Lloyd Webber. Now, if he just apologized for Starlight Express, we'll call it even. And speaking of Disney Dish listeners like Jamie, I also want to give a shout out to new subscribers C.K. Wilson, Craig Heights, and Rob Hall, not to mention longtime subscribers like Dennis Campbell, Jim Finnegan, and Kira. These are the folks who, I'm almost reluctant to bring this information to light about that cool, delicious citrus treat, Dole Whip. But these are the folks who actually beat those poor oranges to a pulp using really for real whips, which I'm told is a crucial phase when it comes to the proper preparation of this theme park favorite. The upside? I'm told that whipping all those oranges makes for a great upper body workout. More to the point that all of that orange pulp, which hangs in the air thanks to all the frantic whipping, is actually an excellent source of vitamin C, which is why, oddly enough, it's far healthier to make a Dole Whip than it is to eat one. True story. And speaking of Dole Whip, Nancy and I made a hit-and-run trip to Disney Springs last week. We were down in Florida so that Nancy could attend Roma Drama Live, which is this celebration of all things Hallmark movie-related, which is held at the West Palm Beach Convention Center. After Roma Drama Live wrapped, we drove back over to Orlando and spent some of Monday afternoon at Disney Springs. I, I think we were there for two hours stop, shopping and dining. But while we were there, Nathan and I made a point of checking out Swirls in the Water. 
This kiosk, which actually opened at Disney Springs back on March 15th of this year, is located on the Causeway Bridge close to the Rainforest Cafe and Goofy's Candy Company. <sighs> and I have to tell you, when Nancy and I were at Disney Springs, it was a brutally hot day. And when you're in Central Florida this time of year, nothing tastes better than an ice cold Dole Whip. And what's truly cool about Swirls on the Water is this is a place where you can get a Dole Whip flight, which features six different flavors. Or if you're 21 or older, you can get a Sangria float. That's a cup of red wine with a dollop of Dole Whip on top. The only downside to Swirls on the Water? The line can get long out there on a hot afternoon. So be sure and bring a hat and some sunscreen if you're headed to Disney Springs on a summer day. It's, it's honestly surprising how much exposure to the sun you can get as you troop from store to store along the shores of Lake Buena Vista. And while we're talking about shopping, I have a personal request for those Disney dish listeners who may be headed overseas this summer. I'm talking to those folks who are either headed to Disneyland Paris or to Universal Studios Japan. Now, if you're headed to Japan, I have a favor to ask on behalf of my daughter, Alice, who is a huge One Piece fan. Ever since the summer of 2007, Universal Studios Japan has staged its One Piece premiere summer show, which is this in-park celebration of that hugely popular anime series. This year, in honor of the 15th anniversary of One Piece premiere summer, which runs at that Universal Park in Osaka from July to October of this year, Universal has published a book that looks back at the history of this seasonal attraction. And if possible, well, I'd love to be able to procure a copy of the, the One Piece premiere summer 15th anniversary book for my daughter. And speaking of books, if there's anyone headed to France this summer, that brand new Art of Disneyland Paris book looks spectacular as well. And I'd love to be able to attain a copy of that for my research library. So how about this? I'm looking for a kind soul out there who's either headed to Japan or France this summer. I need your help in obtaining a copy of the One Piece premiere summer 15th anniversary book or, or and or, uh, the Art of Disneyland Paris book, and I will gladly cover the full cost of the book, plus the price of shipping, and as further incentive, I will even toss in a jug of genuine made in New Hampshire maple syrup, which I can't sample anymore because I'm a diabetic, but I hear is really, really tasty. Okay, I know, maple syrup is not Dole Whip, but it's readily available in the vicinity, and I was looking for a convenient bribe. No, that's the wrong word. What I meant to say was incentive. If you could help me out here, I... Uh, Please let me know. And just in case you're wondering, no, I do not want anyone to pick me up a Lena Bell plush who's headed to Tokyo Disney Resort or Hong Kong Disneyland this fall. Lena Bell is the latest friend of Duffy to be introduced in that line of plush, which is hugely popular at the Disney parks in Asia. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the debut of Duffy, the Disney bear. He was first introduced to the world at, with the opening of Once Upon a Toy, that then 16,000-square-foot store that opened up at the Marketplace section of downtown Disney, now Disney Springs, back on July 19, 2002. Now, Duffy didn't sell that well, not in the States anyway, initially. But the folks who worked on the consumer product side of things attribute this to the fact that Duffy was an original IP. He wasn't tied to any pre-existing Disney film franchise or TV show, and that was something of a turnoff to the people who were vacationing at Walt Disney World, back then anyway. 
Okay, we now jump ahead to 2004, where Duffy the Disney Bear is relaunched on the other side of the globe in an entirely new market, Japan. What's different this time around is that Duffy is heavily promoted as only being available in one place, which is Aunt Peg's Village Store, which is located in the American waterfront section of the Tokyo Disney Sea theme park. This is the original business plan that was developed for Duffy's debut at Walt Disney World, in that the only place back then that guests were supposed to be able to purchase the Disney bear was at the Once Upon a Toy Store at Downtown Disney. But after sales back in 2002 were initially slow, people at the resort panicked and, and then put Duffy everywhere with the hoping, I hope here is that the additional exposure around Walt Disney World would help spur sales. Anyway. Back to Japan now. It was that combination of cute and exclusivity. Remember, you can only get Duffy the Bear at Aunt Peg's Village Store at Tokyo Disney Seas. And, and more to the point, the only way you can get this piece of plush is if you have a ticket to that theme park. Well, that turns this retail line into an absolute gold mine. I mean, there were park guests who would stand in three-hour-long lines that would then snake all over the American waterfront section of Tokyo Disney Seas just for the chance to buy the latest iteration of Duffy or one of this Disney bear's friends, which include Shelley May, also a bear, Gelatoni, who's a cat, Stella Lou, a rabbit, Cookie Ann, a dog, and Olu Mel, a turtle. And, just in case you're wondering, Lena Bell is a fox. And she officially goes on sale at the Tokyo Disney Resort on September 8th, where Hong Kong Disneyland patrons have to wait till September 9th before they can purchase this highly collectible plush, which will likely sell out in seconds. And speaking of selling out, did you see where the Oogie Boogie Bash has already sold out for this year? And that's with 23 different dates being offered for this after-hours party at that park. What's kind of shocking everyone at admissions at the Disneyland Resort right now is, well, tickets for this year's Oogie Boogie Bash only went on sale Tuesday, June 28th. That's less than 10 days from, from when I'm recording this episode of Disney Dish. The 28th is when Magic Key holders and D23 members got first dibs on dates, and then everybody else got a shot at scoring tickets to this year's Oogie Boogie Bash beginning on Thursday, June 30th. And then just three days later, on Sunday, July 3rd, Disneyland.com posts a message on its seasonal events page that there are says that there are no more tickets available for the 2022 edition of Oogie Boogie Bash. Last year, tickets for the 2021 edition of Oogie Boogie Bash went on sale in mid-July, on, on July 13th of last year to be exact, and then didn't sell out till August 26th. Now, that meant the tickets for that edition of this seasonal event were on sale for six and a half weeks and then didn't sell out to just nine days before the first of these after-hours parties were held. Uh, whereas for this year's Oogie Boogie Bash, tickets for this hard-ticket seasonal event went clean in five days' time. And we're now nine weeks out from the first Oogie Boogie Bash to be held for 2022. And again, last year's set of Oogie Boogie Bash didn't sell out to nine days before the first party. And here we are nine weeks ahead of the first Oogie Boogie Bash, and, and the tickets are gone. 
from talking with people at the park, they're just kind of blown away by this. And this is a five-hour party we're talking about. It's held from 6 to 11 p.m. Ticket prices range from $129 to $179, and you could easily buy a full day at D.C. or Disneyland Park for that price. That said, there really was great word of mouth coming off of last year's Oogie Boogie Bash. Guests especially enjoyed the Villains Grove at the Redwood Creek Challenge Trail, and the Disneyland Resort has already been teasing that two new villains will be appearing at this year's hard-ticket seasonal event. So, but I have to ask you, was that really enough to cause this sort of frenzy when it came to tickets for the 2022 edition of Oogie Boogie Bash? I mean, uh, tickets going clean in five days' time? I mean, again, that just seems crazy to me. While we're on the topic of Disneyland, uh, Mr. Testa always makes a point of sharing whatever surveys that Disney Dish listeners send in to us, and loyal listener DWV went to the happiest place on Earth last week, and when he got home, Disneyland sent a survey to DWV and then asked him to reflect on his day in the park. To hear DWV talk was largely about Disneyland's current COVID protocols, whether they were too much or not enough. And eh, what's kind of concerning about this line of inquiry is that, well, as Deadline.com reported yesterday, California's largest county, which is Los Angeles County, is now on course to be labeled a high COVID-level community within the next seven days. And you have to wonder what the Disneyland Resort will do if California's largest county suddenly decides to revive its mandatory indoor mask mandate, which, by the way, I'm hearing is already on the table. On a lighter note, who writes these surveys? Check out the way that some of the questions are phrased. It's this weird blend of corporate speak and word salad. All right, take, for example, this survey question. What was the primary reason you chose to visit Disneyland Park? Okay, not bad. It's when you, we get to your possible response to this specific survey question that things start to go off the rails. Your possible responses to what was the primary reason you chose to visit Disneyland Park are to experience the seasonal decor at the park, to see a favorite character slash franchise, to experience a limited-time-slash-seasonal event, to shop, to experience the rides, the attractions, and shows of the park in general, to experience limited crowds, to experience the characters of the park in general, to celebrate a special occasion, e.g. birthday, anniversary, it's a weather-friendly park, to experience a specific attraction or show, friends or family wanted to go, oh, and finally, to eat. Okay, a couple of sponsors really leaped out at me. To see a favorite character slash franchise. To experience a limited time slash seasonal event. Lots of slashing going on there. And then to experience limited crowds. But again, you look at these, these survey responses. and They weren't written by somebody who regularly interacts with other human beings. I, you know, All I can think of is, must be one of the lizard people who are supposedly secretly pulling the strings behind the scenes in modern society. I mean, it's a weather-friendly park. What exactly does that response mean? That Disneyland is very polite to tornadoes and typhoons when they suddenly decide to make a stop at the corner of Harbor and Catella? 
You know what these surveys response remind me of? That, that, that Steve Buscemi bit from 30 Rock where Buscemi is, is playing a cop who's tasked with infiltrating a high school and has to pose as a typical student and only Steve blows the assignment on the very first day by walking up to this random group of students who are standing in the hallway of the high school and then saying, how do you do, fellow kids? Again, just in case you're wondering, DWV's response to these questions, uh, this question about uh, what Disney survey said had to, about the reason his family went down to Anaheim is that yeah, they wanted to experience the seasonal decor at the park and they wanted to experience a, a, some specific chosen attractions and DWV then cited the Disneyland Forever Fireworks, a Fantasmic, and then Pirates of the Caribbean as the shows and attractions that he and his family were most looking forward to experiencing at their time at Disneyland. And as for the third reason that his family went to Disneyland, they, they just cut right to the chase to eat. I wonder if they got a Dole Whip flight while DWV and his family were at the park last week. And speaking of flights... We're going to be traveling from the Golden State to the Sunshine State once we get back from this commercial break as I chat with Banks Lee about the 10th anniversary of the Legoland Florida Resort. But first, this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we were just talking about the Tokyo Disney Resort a few minutes ago, and I don't want to seem ungrateful, especially since the Disneyland version of the Main Street Electrical Parade just got that brand new, great-looking finale unit. But there's great-looking, and then there's great-looking. And by that I mean, have you seen the videos that are popping up online of that new train drum unit? that leads off Tokyo Disneyland's Electrical Parade Dreamlights nighttime show. Oh my god, that thing has LEDs. The smokestack on the train has its own individual animation cycle. There isn't an inch of this thing that isn't loaded with movement and color. Which has me asking, why can't we get a nighttime parade at one of the stateside parks that's the equivalent in quality to one of these nighttime parades that are presented at the Tokyo parks? I mean, oh, look, I get it. There's an entirely different business model being followed over at the Tokyo Disney Resort. And, and the Main Street Electrical Parade, the one that's at Disneyland right now, is nice and all. I mean, it's a wonderful exercise in nostalgia. But most of those parade floats that are now rolling nightly through Disneyland Park were built for the second iteration of the Main Street Electrical Parade, which debuted on both coasts in the U.S. during the month that I graduated from high school, 
which was June of 1977. That's too damn old, folks. No, I'm too damn old, folks. And speaking of exercises and nostalgia, for the past year or so, Len and I have been talking about the 50th anniversary of the opening of Walt Disney World Resort. But it's important to remember that the Magic Kingdom theme park wasn't Central Florida's first tourist attraction. That honor has to go to Cypress Gardens, which Dick Pope, who has often been called the father of Florida tourism, opened back in January of 1936. People used to travel from all over the globe to Winter Haven so they could then view the more than 8,000 flowers from 90 different countries that were on display in this tourist attraction's 30-acre botanical garden area or to watch a water skiing show out on Lake Eloise. Cypress Garden had some very famous fans. Elvis Presley shot a movie there, as did Esther Williams. And TV legend Johnny Carson actually shot a, a TV special there in the summer of 68, when the famous Tonight Show band was replaced by a group of musicians who played underwater. Uh, that group was called, no lie, the Wetbacks. I, I know, not very PC, but you got to remember the 1960s were a very different time. Anyway, among Cypress Garden's famous fans were Roy O. Disney and his wife, Edna. And every winter, the Disneys would travel to Florida, and each time they traveled to the state, Roy and Edna would make a point of swinging by Cypress Gardens, where the Disneys eventually became friendly with Dick Pope and his wife, Julie. Which brings us to the late winter of 63. Dick's in his office behind the scenes at Cypress Gardens when he gets a call from the kid who's manning the booth at the entrance of the Source Directions parking lot. And the kid tells Mr. Pope that Roy and Enda have just pulled into the parking lot. So Dick leaves his office and then walks down to Cypress Gardens' main entrance because he wants to personally greet the Disneys when, when they arrive for their annual visit at his park. And first five minutes goes by, and, and then ten minutes goes by, and... Mr. Poop starts to get a little concerned, so he walks out to the parking lot where Dick then catches Roy counting the number of cars that are in the Cypress Garden parking lot that day. And as the story goes, Mr. Pope quietly stood there watching Walt's brother count a few more rows of cars and then called out to them, Is there something you want to tell me, Roy? Of course, Mr. Pope didn't know that Walt was already looking for land for Project Florida and that the Disney company wouldn't find the right chunk of property, which was nearly 40 miles to the north of Cypress Garden, still nine months later in November of 63. Mind you, Walt wouldn't reveal his plans for all that land that his company had purchased outside of Orlando till two years later. But there was no bigger booster for the Disney World project than Dick Pope. Dick understood right from the get-go that the more tourists Walt Disney lured to Central Florida, the more likely it was that at least some of these folks would make their way over to Cypress Gardens. And for nearly two decades, this mutually beneficial arrangement worked. People who were visiting Walt Disney World, especially those who, who wanted to work in a visit to Tampa and St. Pete after they seen the Magic Kingdom, would usually make a stop at Cypress Gardens. But all that changed in June of 1990. This was when Universal Studios Florida first opened. That theme park effectively changed the center of gravity, at least when it came to Central Florida tourism. Whereas tourists used to travel from Walt Disney World over to Tampa and St. Pete, with, with Cypress Garden then serving as a convenient midpoint to stop and stretch your legs, see the sights. 
But once Universal Studios opened in the summer of 1990, Central Florida's tourism trail suddenly changed directions. Instead of going southwest to Tampa, people would now leave Disney and head northeast to Universal, SeaWorld, the iDrive area, and downtown Orlando. And as a direct result, attendance levels at Cypress Gardens began to fall. Uh, After the Popes handed off management of the park to their son, Dick Pope Jr., the property changed hands a number of times in the 1980s and the 1990s. 9-11 seemingly delivered a death blow to the property and, and what many called Central Florida's first real tourist attraction suddenly shuttered in April of 2003. But here's the thing about gardens. The seasons change and then they bloom again. And since so many people in and around Winter Haven just flat out love Cypress Gardens, they just weren't willing to see this place fade away. So between 2004 and 2009, there were a number of attempts made to get this classic Central Florida attraction back up on its feet. Most of those stumbled coming out of the gate. But in January of 2010, Merlin Entertainment which, by the way, is the second largest theme park and attraction operator behind a certain mouse, announced that they'd be acquiring Cypress Gardens. More importantly, Merlin had plans to change Central Florida's first tourist attraction into the fifth Legoland Park. Merlin Entertainment also intended to do so in such a way that much of the charm of the original Cypress Gardens, especially those spectacular botanical gardens to the back of the property, would be preserved. Legoland Florida formally opened to the public in October of 2011, and over the past year, this now full-blown resort, which isn't a single theme park anymore, but rather now home to two theme parks, a water park, two hotels, and a beach retreat, it's celebrating its 10th anniversary. Now, to talk about what's new and, and why you really need to make a trip over to Winter Haven, I have asked Banks Lee to come join us on today's Disney Dish. This is the guy who's been covering the Central Florida tourism beat for the better part of the past decade. You've no doubt seen some of the killer videos that Banks has produced over the years up on YouTube. And Mr. Lee and I used to run into each other all the time at media events. Whenever I'd go to the opening of a new attraction at Disney or Universal or SeaWorld, Banks would be there. Well, just recently, Mr. Lee went from covering the opening of theme parks to actually helping to plan the opening of a theme park. Can you tell the nice folks about your new role with the Legoland Florida Resort Banks? Thank you so much, Jim. First off, it's such an honor to be here talking with you. I always love getting to see you out and about in the parks, and I love being here on the Disney Dish to talk talk to you guys about Legoland Florida. So yeah, so my role with Legoland started actually two years ago, July 15th of 2020, so just celebrating my two-year anniversary. Um, I started off here in the um, PR team, the public relations team, where I was the PR manager uh, for the resorts, helping to create videos. My role has kind of evolved since then, so I'm now the production and marketing support specialist. So I'm still leading the charge with a lot of our productions in terms of videos that are made in-house, both externally and internally. And then I'm helping out with the marketing team as a whole with uh, different projects as, uh, as we go on through the years and the months and all the fun stuff that's happening around Legoland Florida Resort. It's been an amazing transition. I had a blast 10 years at Attractions Magazine, wouldn't change it for the world. Um, but it's been really nice to kind of shift that focus to the, the other side of the media spectrum and, and helping things out from inside the theme parks. 
Speaking of which, though, you had to have seen a lot of your old pals with the the opening of the Peppa Pig theme park early this year, right? And oh, yeah. That park, which opened in February 24th of this year, isn't just a new land at Legoland, Florida. It's a standalone theme park that's built around that hugely popular animated series for preschoolers, right? Correct. Yeah. Peppa Pig theme park is its own theme park, just steps away from Legoland Florida Resort, as we like to say. It is geared toward that two to five preschool age range. And it's really one of the first theme parks uh, out there that is specifically geared just for that age range. Uh, Obviously, this is not the size of the typical theme park that you find here in Central Florida, but for that age set, it's just the right size. And there's so much for them uh, to be able to do. And not just them, but the adults as well are going to be able to enjoy the attractions together. And that was what really was the the draw of opening Peppa Pig theme park was the ability to let the parents ride these rides with their preschooler children. Now, Banks was nice enough to walk me around the Peppa Pig theme park last week. We did a tour of the property with your colleague, Sarah. And I I have to say, I was impressed by the job that Merlin Entertainment has done when it comes to translating the specific look of this British preschool show to the real physical world. Because that's the gimmick of the Peppa Pig TV show, that all the characters in the show settings actually look like they were designed, well, well, drawn by actual kids. Yeah, and when you walk through Peppa Pig theme park, you feel like the cartoon has has come to life around you. Obviously, Peppa's house is such an iconic element of that show. It's always there at every episode at the top of the hill, and it is the center point of our park. That is where Daddy Pig's roller coaster is. Um, and speaking of Daddy Pig's roller coaster, um, it's built by Zamperla, and it is one of the first family roller coasters to actually have a kid-friendly launch right in the middle of the ride. And the ride makes two laps around, so it's not just a one and done. The kids and, and the adults get to really enjoy the ride uh, together for a little longer than a usual ride. And you know, all the rides are built for those parents to ride with the kids. Uh, Daddy, uh, the Grand Grampy Rabbit's Dinosaur Adventure. It's probably my favorite ride because you know the, the adults can ride, kids can sit right in front of them. You get to ride through the dinosaur park. It's just it's such a fun, unique uh, element uh, for for the adults to enjoy time with their kids. You also put together a really funny little tribute to the dinosaur ride that kind of riffed on Jurassic Park. That's on YouTube, is that right? Or the Legoland uh, Florida page? Yeah, it's, it's on all the uh, Peppa Pig social media channels if you want to check out. That was, that was a lot of fun to, to, to put together to tie into a, a certain movie that came out uh, last month. Um, yeah, like we, we like to have fun. Speaking of of being first to do something, can you talk about the Legoland Florida Resort recently having become a a certified autism center? I mean, given that you guys are the first theme park resort to ever receive this certification, well, I, I think that's something parents, especially for those who have kids somewhere in the spectrum, really need to hear about before they plan their next trip to Central Florida. We are so proud that Legoland Florida Resort has partnered with the IBCCES, the International Board of Credentialing and Continuing Education Standards, uh, to earn our designation as a certified autism center across the entire resort. That includes Legoland Florida Theme Park, Water Park, Peppa Pig Theme Park, and our three on-site hotels. So our employees, we love to call model citizens, they're trained to better assist autistic guests and those uh, with other sensory sensitivities and help them really enjoy their time at the resort. We also provide 
sensory guide for every attraction that provides insights into how that attraction or ride may affect each of the five senses, which that guide can be found on our website. We have booklets you can pick up at guest services in person, and also signs that are posted around the resort at these entrances to see to show guests what sensory um, the score is for each of the senses for the attractions that they know going in. Okay, so this one has a sound of six, and this may be a little bit on the louder side. Uh, these are just ways that uh, help make it easier for individuals and families to plan those activities that align with their needs. When Banks and Sarah and I, and I were, were touring the property, I, I saw signs like this all over the Lillian Florida Resort. Like, like, for example, in the part of the theme park that paid tribute to the Lego movies. Yes, the Lego movie world opened back in 2019. This is this is my favorite land in the entire Legoland theme park. It is based on the very popular Lego movies one and two. Um, we have rides like Unikitty's Disco, Disco Drop, which is a family-friendly uh, drop attraction. Very bouncy, very fun. And then the Lego movie Masters of Flight. I love this ride. My kids love this ride. It is... It's you're basically flying through the Lego movie worlds and flying over all these different scenes that you recognize from both movies. It is so much fun, uh, and I highly always recommend it to anyone that comes to Legoland Florida. This is the ride that's sort of like Legoland's version of Soarin'. You know, the, the guests climb aboard Emmett's now triple-decker uh, flying couch and fly over places like Cloud Cuckoo Land and, and Middle Zealand, which I'm, I'm assuming is somewhere between New Zealand and Old Zealand. Uh, speaking of new, what other stuff is opened at the Legoland Florida Resort in the not-so-distant past? Uh, well, we have our third on-site hotel, Pirate Island Hotel, actually opened back on June 1st of 2020. 150-room hotel, shares a check-in uh, area with our main Legoland Hotel, which opened back in 2015. 2020, that, that, that's the year that the pandemic had started. So did you guys have to push back the opening of the Pirate Island Hotel because of COVID? We did. So originally the, op uh, the opening was set for April of 2020 and then in March, you know, everything happened due to COVID and the hotel opening was pushed. But it is worth noting that uh, June 1st was when both the Pirate Island Hotel and Legoland Florida Resort uh, as a whole reopened from the pandemic. And we were actually one of the, we were the first theme park in Central Florida to reopen. Jeez. So June 1st, that, that's what, almost six weeks ahead of when the theme parks over Disney will reopen. I mean, as I recall, the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom opened July 11th of that year, and then uh, Epcot and Hollywood Studios didn't open until four days after that. What else did you folks do uh, at this point in the pandemic to, to help keep visitors to the resort safe? So obviously, on top of you know, back when we first reopened, having those social distance markers um, printed out and put on the ground like Lego brick, um, we had you know mask policies as well. Hand sanitizers were installed resort-wide, over 200 hand sanitizers, which are still out there available because we really feel that that was an element that could still go on past the pandemic um, rules and, and so forth. So we're keeping those out there. And also we're continuing to stay cashless as well. So entire resort wide, uh, we are cashless. We do have some machines available in certain parts of the park where you can uh, deposit some cash and get a temporary card to be able to make your purchases if you brought cash with you. So just in case, uh, uh, that happens, we have the answer for you. That's what I kind of loved about my recent tour of, of Legoland Florida. If you were paying attention, 
there were these sorts of innovations, like the, the cashless thing, all over the place. Take, for example, those canopies of solar panels you guys erected over the resort's preferred parking area? Yes, so those uh, shaded parking that are also solar panels, we partnered with Tampa Electric uh, to put those up over 600, um, about 600 uh, car spaces there. That is our preferred parking lot. The solar panels went online back toward the end of 2016. Um, and according to Tampa Electric, they generate about an average of 1.8 megawatts of power, which is about enough to power 250 homes a year. <laughs> That's killer. And and that creating shade for gas out in the parking lot things, I, I guess it was so popular you decided to bring it into Legoland proper. I mean, can you talk about the, these enormous shade structures you folks just erected over the, the park's Miniland USA area? Yes. So one of, one of the biggest additions uh, back in 2021 for our 10th anniversary year was this addition of a shade structure over Miniland. Obviously, we, we know Florida. We know it gets hot in the summer. We know it rains almost every day during the summer. And for 10 years, Miniland has been in an open area for guests to enjoy these replicas of buildings across the country and across the state of Florida. But putting that shade structure over last year, which finished about November, toward the end of 2021, the structure finished. It's been watching it this summer, watching guests this summer of 2022, just spend so much more time in there, uh, getting to get out of the heat, get out of the rain, and really take in the details of Miniland, because there's a lot to see. There's over 35 million brick, Lego brick in Miniland alone uh, to, to look at. And thanks to the Shea structure, it's going to help kind of preserve those Lego bricks as well from sun damage because 10 years of no shade, those brick have gotten a little bit uh, worn out and faded, and especially with some of the white bricks. So currently for the next couple of years, two to three years, our master model builders are hard at work replacing every model in Miniland with brand new models of brand new brick to really revitalize each section and bring new life and color to the area. So like Las Vegas, our Las Vegas, Las Vegas section, I want to say it's almost 100% complete. Um, they're working on San Francisco right now. Um, so we're looking at probably in a couple of years, all of Miniland will, will look good as new. Can you talk about what else has gotten plus or improved as part of uh, Legoland Florida's 10th anniversary celebration? So another one of the biggest openings we had in 2021 for our 10th anniversary was a revitalization of our water ski show, the Brickbeard's Water Sports Stunt Show. Now, obviously, you, you mentioned in the intro, water skiing is a huge part of the history of Cypress Gardens. And we've had a water ski show ever since we opened back in October 2011. Um, but 10 years later, in uh, February of 2021, we updated that show. It's much more stunt-focused. Stunt Brickbeard is the star of the show now. You are watching his recruits trying to join his team with some really awesome skiing and uh, flyboarding acts happening on Lake Eloise, which flyboarding, the first time we've ever done that. It's so cool to see you. You watch that guy go into the air. It's just, it's, it's an awe moment every single time. Um, and then also to talk more about that history of Cypress Gardens, we do have the brand new Legoland Story, which opened up near the front of our park. It also has a coffee company uh, shop, so guests can come in and get their coffee and breakfast pastries right at the beginning of the, to start their day off. And then they can go through this museum and read all about not only the history of Cypress Gardens and Legoland Florida, the history of all Legoland parks, and the history of Lego itself. There's a movie that you can watch about how the founders um, founded 
Lego. There's a history of minifigures. There's so much to see in there. And that's just the first thing you come across to start your day. I am so happy you mentioned minifigs because you were, and Sarah were telling me about how this is a Legoland Florida, and I guess all of the Legoland parks around the country. This is your equivalent of like the pin trading at Disney, right? Correct. Yeah. So obviously the, the minifigure is a huge element of, of, you know, building Lego sets and, and collecting Lego. So we have the ability to trade uh, minifigures with the guests. So guests, you know, it doesn't matter what pieces, they don't have to be like complete Lego minifigure pieces. Like you can mix and match whatever you want, bring it with you. You can trade as much as you like throughout the day. We have certain areas in some of our retail shops that have boards, you can trade minifigures. There is a minifigure trading wall inside the Legoland story. If you see one of our model citizens walking around and they've got a minifigure on their badge, you can trade with them. Um, it's just a really fun way to, to keep that interaction with, with guests throughout the park and make sure we're putting a smile on the face of every child. And we were just talking about the Legoland story, the museum slash coffee shop thing uh, toward the front of the park. And I have to say there was a display in there about the enormous banyan tree that Mrs. Pope planted in Cypress Gardens Botanical Garden back in 39, I want to say. Started out just as a seedling and then grew into this hugely impressive flowering tree, which I, I'm told it really impressed the Imaginers back in 1971. Do, do you want to tell that story? So yeah, so right after Disney opened back in uh, October of 71, uh, the Imagineers actually came out and toured Cypress Gardens um, and were impressed by the Banyan tree, which, I mean, who isn't impressed by that thing when you walk through? It's so beautiful to mm -hmm. walk under. Um, they just spent $3 million building the Swiss Family Treehouse over in Adventureland. Um, so the Imagineers really wanted to, to know how much the Popes had spent on the Banyan tree here because it was so massive and detailed. And Mrs. Pope recalled actually only spending about three fifty on that seedling. <laughs> As in $3.50. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, folks, I, I, I know I keep circling back on, on Cypress Gardens, Botanical Gardens area, but I, I have to say one of the highlights of visiting this classic Central Florida attraction was you used to be able to climb into these this fleet of electric boats and then cruise through this set of canals that, that went through the back part of property where you then got this lovely up-close view of the colorful plants and the flowers that were on display in the garden that Mrs. Pope helped establish back in the 30s and always kind of made me sad that the canal boat ceased operation back in 2003. They were, again, they were just a charming part of Cypress Gardens. But just this past week, Banks, you guys had some, some good news for fans of this classic Central Florida attraction. Yes, so we are, in a way, bringing back those canal boats, but in a Lego DNA kind of twist. So we're calling it Pirate River Quest. It is opening on November 2nd of this year, and guests are going to be able to board Lego pirate boats and journey through the Cypress Gardens uh, area to find some lost treasure that have been stolen from Captain Redbeard by a troop of mischievous monkeys. Um, there's lots of fun elements, um, Lego DNA spread out through the canals of Cypress Gardens. But at the same time, the Cypress Gardens area hasn't lost its charm at all. So like you may see these scenes along the canals, but you know, the, the, the gardens itself are still a very important integral part of Legoland, Florida and the history of Winter Haven and this whole area. So we wanted to make sure that we didn't really disturb 
um, everything that these gardens have been turned into. So these boats are still going to go to the canals. You're going to get to go out on Lake Eloise. There's still going to be lots of fun Lego surprises that you'll get to see during this cruise starting on November 2nd of this year. And I am very excited because, you know, as a fan of the history of Cypress Gardens, to be able to bring back those canal boats in a unique way is exciting, very exciting. So November 2nd, that's right after you folks wrap up Brick or Treat, which is Legoland Florida's annual Halloween hard ticket event, right? You know, and as I understand it, the 2022 edition is going to be the biggest one you guys have ever staged, right? Correct. Yeah, 2022 for Brick or Treat is going to be the, the biggest Brick or Treat we've ever done. And one of the ways that it is going to be the biggest one is we are extending the dates this year. Usually, Brick or Treat only happens in uh, weekends in October, but this year we're starting September 24th and 25th, to be exact. So this will be the first time we've had Brick or Treat happening in September. So extended dates and lots of fun to happen. And I can say we will have a lot more to talk about very soon about Brick or Treat. Killer. Okay. Now, now speaking of seasonal celebrations, Banks and I are recording this segment for Disney Dish on Tuesday, July 5th, so, which is right after Legoland Florida presented its Red, White, and Boom. So that's a special fireworks display for the 4th of July, which I'd imagine the folks who live around Lake Eloise also got to enjoy. So, yeah, the, the part about being on Lake Eloise is Lake Eloise is a public lake. And there are people that live on Lake Eloise or live on any of the lakes that are connected to Lake Eloise because the area is called the Chain of Lakes for a reason. People can go from one lake to another. So with it being a public area, we welcome boats to come up. We have a, a kind of a seawall of uh, tires set up on the lake that can separate our lagoon with Lake Eloise. And we welcome boaters and skiers and, and you know jet skiers to come up and, and park their boat on that wall and, and enjoy the show from a different angle. Or when we have fireworks like our Red, White, and Boom 4th of July fireworks, uh, to be able to, to park in a safe area along the lake and watch the fireworks from the lake. Like it's kind of a unique way to, to enjoy some of our things uh, from a different angle. During my tour of the park, uh, you know, uh, Banks and Sarah took me, actually took me to the uh, catch uh, a showing of uh, Brickbeard's water sports show. And uh, as you described, I mean, there were folks who, who literally came out for the first show of the day and parked their boats to watch the show. And they were, again, along that sort of breakwater uh, thing at the edge of the lagoon for the stadium, which... The stadium is right next to where the uh, Pirate River Crest uh, attraction is being built right now, right? Again, the thing that opens in early November. That's correct. It, right there in Pirate's Cove. Okay. All right. I guess I'm, I, it looks like I got to schedule a return trip to Legoland for later this year, though. If you've got a Lego enthusiast on your holiday shopping list this year, you might also want to uh, you know schedule a special trip to Winter Haven just for the, the the shopping opportunities can can you explain that banks so yeah of course you know being a Legoland park we we want to give guests the opportunity to take home a Lego set or two um, so we have several gift shops around the park most notably we have the big shop it is our the biggest Lego shop uh, in on our property right by the entrance so I like to say, because I'm a Lego enthusiast, I'm, a, I'm an adult fan of Lego. Like, I'm, I'm not going to hide it. Like, my kids love it. Uh, we get sets all the time. And inside Big Shop, you can find a lot of those, like, rarer, hard-to-find Lego sets that are out there. Um, they don't generally sell out as often as you would at a regular Lego store out in the world because with our shop, I mean, 
you have to have admission to the park to even come in and shop there. So they don't sell out as often. So I always like to tell people, oh, if you're looking for that new roller coaster set that just came out, oh, get, get a ticket to come Legoland. You can enjoy the day and you'll be able to pick it up right at the big shop as you leave. For our, our Marvel fans out there, I, I don't know if you've seen the photos that are out there for the crazy Doctor Strange Sanctum Sanctorum set that, that's coming out on August 1st. It's, what, 2,700 bases, three stories tall. Again, I'm, I'm anticipating that this one will disappear off store shelves. But, but on the other hand, hey, a reason to hit the Legoland and maybe pick it up there. Anyway, I want to thank Banks Lee for coming on this week's Disney edition, reminding us that the, there's more to a Central Florida vacation than just hanging around the mouse's house. And, and in fact, if you want to see why Roy and Edna Disney always made a stop at Cypress Gardens every time they visited Sunshine State, be sure and check out Legoland Florida Resort. There's a surprisingly large amount of new stuff to do there in, in those two theme parks and the water park and the two hotels. and the, We would and love the, to have you come out to Legoland Florida Resort. We are continually building uh, Lego pun there. Uh, so definitely coming out. There's lots more in store for us. And Jim, I thank you again for, for having me on. It's been such a joy getting to chat with you and talk about Legoland and, and kind of get to do a little bit of what I used to do again. Thanks again to Banks for coming on this week's Disney Dish and, and helping to fill in for Len, who I assure you, barring some unfortunate incident that may occur out on international waters, Mr. Testa will be back in time to co-host next week's show. I mean, seriously, what are the odds that Len gets captured by Somalian pirates? I'm not a betting man, but I'm thinking uh, the mid to low 30s, right? And as Mr. Test always says, we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who this coming weekend will be headed out to Old Cape Cod for the Hydrangea Festival. What's that you say? Why would somebody who makes their living editing audio want to take part in a 10-day-long event that features tours of private gardens across the Cape? Not to mention workshops on things like how to prune your plants. Here's the thing. Aaron Adams isn't just attending these classes. He's actually teaching those workshops. I mean, who better to teach a class in pruning than somebody who edits all day? And while Aaron's doing that... Please head on over to iTunes and rate and recommend the show. Better yet, tell us what you want to hear on the next Disney Dish. And speaking of our next show, if you tuned in for this particular podcast because you wanted to hear the second part of my series about how the Maelstrom ride at Epcot's Norway Pavilion got turned into Frozen Ever After, if Len gets back, I promise to finish that story. Sorry, sorry, slip of the tongue. Didn't mean to say if, when Len gets back, because he's absolutely coming back from that boat trip. Right? And so he and I will see you on the next show.